Wow, we're in uh, Ephesians 5, and um, we are going to be looking at several scriptures this morning, but we're going to kind of call that home base. And uh, if you can find it there, we're going to be uh, really in verse 18 uh, through 21, but we're going to kind of look at verses 15 through 21 for the sake of context this morning. Uh, and if I was to ask you this morning, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Um, I wonder what kind of answers I would get if we went around the room. Not going to do that uh, this morning. We might get a few weird answers, maybe in your mind, you think of something you've seen on television uh, where a guy touches somebody on the head and they pass out, fall on the floor, maybe they flop around like a fish, you wonder if they're dead, they lay there a while and they get up and everything's better, right? Life's different and they see things differently like that. Maybe you think, well, they, maybe that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you think, if that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't want anything to do with it, right? Um, but that's not what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not even getting into all that this morning, but, but we get these pictures in our head, right? Uh, maybe you think of Acts. Maybe you've read the book of Acts and you think of somebody standing uh, in front of uh, thousands of people and preaching the gospel and thousands of people getting saved and you think, if that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and obviously that was something that happened when those folks were filled with the Holy Spirit, but that's not all that happens and there's no guarantees that you're going to see thousands of people get saved if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? Well, what if I was to tell you this morning that um, that be filled with the Holy Spirit is is a command given to every believer by God. And so if you sit here this morning and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you sit here this morning in need of repentance. We don't really think about it that way, do we? And we're going to see this morning that not only is it a command given by God, it's something that has to happen to you, not something you can just kind of do for yourself. And so God actually commands things of us that we can't just whip up. Right, that he has to do, but we have to position ourselves right to do. We've been in this series on the Holy Spirit the last couple of weeks, and as we're in week three this week, we're going to talk about the being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to kind of kind of look at it from, from a broad perspective. But what I want you to really see this morning is that the greatest resource for the living the Christian life has been given to you if you're a Christian by God. Uh, the one resource you need more than anything has been given to you from conversion. And that is the Holy Spirit. And so if you're a believer this morning, you are, as we learned in week one, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean this morning as you sit here that you are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes, even though every believer is indwelled, sometimes we're not living a Spirit-filled life, although we should be living the Spirit-filled life at all times. And so we're going to kind of use Ephesians 5 uh, as home base this morning. We're going to be looking at a lot of other Scriptures as well. This is kind of the classic text on this. It's really kind of hard uh, to preach on being filled with the Holy Spirit not use it just because it's just so common to us. And so look with me at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. But before we read, let's ask the Lord to help us understand His Word this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what Paul has written here uh, in Ephesians 5, 15-21. And thank You for all the other Scripture that we're going to get to read this morning. Help us to understand it. Holy Spirit, please open our eyes to understand spiritual truth and to apply it to our lives. And we ask that we in all things uh, would live lives that are more and more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It's good advice. Um, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence, out of reverence for Christ. We get a lot of confusion about this terminology today of what does it mean when Paul says here be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to understand something, that this is a phrase, that, I mean, it's, it's throughout the New Testament. Paul's not the only person to use it. And so before we kind of dive into this text, I want us to kind of back out of it a little bit and get back into the Gospels for a second. And so there's a script, you don't have to turn there, the Scripture's going to be on the screen. First thing I want to kind of just point out is that Jesus lived a Spirit-filled life. We don't really think about that a lot. We talk a lot about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's God in the flesh. right? That, that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He's all God. He's all man. He's the Son of God. He lived a sinless life. But did you know He was filled with the Holy Spirit? That Jesus lived His life empowered by the Holy Spirit? Yielded to the Holy Spirit? And only Jesus has been given fullness of the Holy Spirit without measure. John 3.34 John writes, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He said that speaking of Jesus. And what John is saying there is that Jesus has been given by God the Holy Spirit without measure. The only person to ever live who was perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit at all times, without exception, and filled without measure, is Jesus. The only person. And his life was characterized by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 4. Look at Luke 4 up on the screen. Verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. That's Jesus after he was baptized. And you remember the scene maybe if you're familiar with it. When Jesus is baptized, the voice of God speaks out of heaven. The Father speaks and says, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, it says, descends on Him like a dove. And you have the whole Trinity present there at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus being baptized, the Father speaking out of heaven, the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. And after that, it says Jesus goes out and it wants us to understand something. Jesus is life. He's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And it says He, he returns and he's, begin, he's about to go into the wilderness. And who leads Him into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Mark's Gospel tells us that when he was in the wilderness, he was with the wild animals. We know that Satan meets him out there in the wilderness to tempt him. Who led him to the wilderness? The Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. What do we learn about that? Well, we learn something that being Spirit-filled and being Spirit-led does not is not a recipe for an easy life or for a lack of difficulty or even a lack of pain or a lack of suffering in life. Before, Because the first time we read about Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is leading Him into the wilderness and is in the wilderness and He's going to fast for 40 days and it's in the wilderness that Satan is going to tempt Him. But if He hadn't been full of the Holy Spirit, see what I mean? It's because Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit as He engaged this difficult time in His life and ministry and as He went toe-to-toe with Satan and was tempted in every way, even beyond any temptation that you or I have ever faced and succeeded victoriously. Jesus' ministry was characterized by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, in verses 14 through 19, a few verses later, tells us, excuse me, verses 14 through 15, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
So Jesus' ministry is beginning here, and He's wanting us to know that it's beginning in the power of the Spirit. And you see this. Right after this, Jesus stands up and, and He, and He declares to some people in the, in the synagogue, they were gathered together for worship today in the temple, and He stands up and He declares to them, He reads to them from Isaiah about Him being anointed with the Holy Spirit to carry out the task of the Messiah, the mission of God. Jesus' ministry, the, the healing, the, the ministering to the hurting, the, the teaching, it was all in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I say all that to say this, Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the example. He modeled for us the way life is supposed to be lived, the way ministry is supposed to be done, the way service to God and others is supposed to be done, and He did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yielded to the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine this morning how arrogant it would be for us, as a, if you're a believer this morning, to live our life in our power, not yielded to the Spirit, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, chose to live His life yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit? Can there be a more arrogant approach to living the Christian life than to trying to live it on your own when Jesus didn't even try to live His life apart from the supernatural guidance and empowerment of God's Spirit? You may also say, well, of course he lived that way. Josh, he was the sinless son of God. Yes, but his sinless life, his death, his resurrection has now made it possible for you to live a spirit-filled life. Not without measure like him, but in the same way that the early church did. Let's look at the early church. Early church leaders were full of the Spirit. When you get to Acts chapter 1, Jesus is telling them, we read in Acts chapter 1, to wait in Jerusalem, that the Spirit is going to come in power. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit does come in power. And then in chapter 4, verse 8, after, after chapter 2, the scene happens where the Spirit comes in power. And Peter stands up and preaches and thousands of people get saved. And then you get over to chapter 4, verse 8. Peter stands and speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit again and thousands are saved. In chapter 4, uh, verse 31, they pray for boldness and they're filled with the Holy Spirit as they come together after being persecuted and arrested. They come together and they're praying in this place alone. And it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with boldness and the place begins to shake. And you just see this pattern throughout Acts. And to the point when you get to Acts chapter 6, the Spirit-filled church is so spreading and the message is so going forth that they're beginning to develop ministry problems that they just can't handle. And in Acts chapter 6, if it gets, there becomes an issue. It's basically sort of a benevolence issue. It's a food issue with some of the widows in the church. And they're trying to figure out how we're going to make sure that everybody gets the right portion of food, that we're taking care of everybody, taking care of our poor, taking care of our hurting. And the apostles say, well, we could devote less time to teaching the Bible and studying God's Word and studying the Old Testament, interpreting it for people and praying and doing that stuff and devote more time to that. Or we could find some people to help us. And they raised up these leaders to help come alongside the apostles. And many believe that this was the institution, uh, maybe in an informal way, but an institution of the first deacons. And you see in verses Acts chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 5, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So the first qualification ever given was they'd be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Then down in verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and then it lists the other people that they chose. And so, we see this was a characteristic of early church leadership. In other words, unless you were full of the Holy Spirit, you couldn't be doing the work of the in ministry in this sort of way, in this sort of ordained, sort of, going to lay hands on you, send you out, in a church office sort of way. 
And then sometime later, this man named Stephen that we see in Acts chapter 6, he goes out preaching the gospel, confronting the sin of the religious leaders of that day. And they became so angry that they decided to murder him. You might remember this is the story that Saul, who would become Apostle Paul, who would write Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18, 15 through 21 that we just read. He's standing there and he watches as Stephen is murdered for his faith. Watches as people pick up big old rocks and throw them at his head and throw them at his face to kill him. That's how we, we, we read Acts sometimes and we miss just the cold brutalness of some of these things that happen. They're just Bible stories to us. I'm like, no, there was a really a guy named Saul who held jackets and watched people bash a guy's head in and kill him because he believed Jesus was the Messiah. And that guy went on to write most of the New Testament that held the guy's jackets that did that and is now in heaven with that guy. It's really like, whoa, okay. <laughs> That's really intense. And well, here's the thing. The Bible says in Acts 7 when Peter is being murdered here in verses 54 and 55, now when they had heard these things, they were enraged, right? The people he's preaching to, and they ground their teeth at him. That's really angry when you're grinding your teeth. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So the Apostle Paul, even in his lost state of religious but lost, I kind of wonder what the impact of this Spirit-filled man of God, his martyr, had on the life of the Apostle Paul who pins Ephesians chapter 5. And you know, in that moment, when Peter, Stephen is in the most difficult moment of his life, I would imagine up to that moment, he didn't have to go, oh no, things are getting harder. I better pray more. I didn't... Oh. I haven't, had a, I haven't read the Bible in like months, you know, and now it's getting hard, right? And I haven't been, I haven't been to church, and I haven't been reading my Bible, I haven't been praying, and, and now here I am, and I wished I was full of the Holy Spirit, but really, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of just, just full of myself, and I don't really know what in the way. No, 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 no. He, he was ready for that moment because in his lifestyle, which had already been determined by the apostles, he was a man who was characterized by being full of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to be full of the Holy Spirit in those moments of unique ministry or unique difficulty or unique pain or a unique happenings where you get to be used by God in unique, incredible ways, you better have a habit and a pattern of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you ever read Acts, though, and some of this stuff and think, now that was church. We don't have church like that no more. That was church. But the same Holy Spirit that indwelled them indwells us. And the same one that filled them longs to fill us. And in our Ephesians passage, Paul is giving what you might consider the secret to the Christian life. This verse is key to understanding the Christian life. And, and there's other phrases Paul uses. In Galatians, he says, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and so you walk in the Spirit. And I think all these are synonymous with yielding our life to the Holy Spirit and living in tune with Him and yielded to Him. But here's what I want you to see is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing we need to see is our desperate need here to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times, we just don't even realize how desperately we need it. In Ephesians chapter 5, the first two verses say this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What if that's all Paul said? As he just wrote the Ephesians and said, Be imitators of God. I'll be over here. Let me know if you need any help. 
I mean, good luck. I mean, I can't do that. Can you do that? Can you imitate God? Can you love people the way Christ and walk in love with people and with others the way Christ loved us and gave Himself for us? No. But God tells you, you better. That's a command. That's a command in the Scriptures. You understand that this morning? If we're not trying to be imitators of God in the way we love others, we're sinning against God. We like to talk about all the other sins, the cultural sins. These are the church sins, right? If we're not loving God this way, we're sinning against God, and He commands us that we have to love God this way. If He just left it there, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. And then look down in verses 15-18. through 18. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Ever done anything unwise? <laughs> I've done a lot of unwise things. Have you done a lot of unwise things? Well, sure you have. Making the best use of the time. Ever wasted your time? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Ever been foolish? But understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says, and do not get drunk with wine. Look at this. The context. Look at these verses. Paul has commanded them all these difficult things. And he's commanded them to walk in wisdom while sin is lurking very near. And we need to understand we need wisdom to live in this age. We need to know and understand, as he says in verse 17, God's will and to do God's will. He's really kind of laying it out there for us and some pretty harsh demands to do on your own. And then right after that, he says, do not get drunk with wine. Now, this is really funny. And not funny, it's sad. I read this week, and I'd read this before and I'd forgotten about it, but in Ephesus, it was common in idol worship that one of the ways they would worship their idol is they would get drunk, they would basically just get plastered, get wasted, and they would go in and have immoral relationships with people as a way to worship their false god. To get to a higher level, right? Sort of out of body experience, higher level. Got to forget about this world. So they would just drink tons and tons of alcohol and get totally plastered and commit immoral acts and that was worship to them. That's how messed up we are, folks. That's how messed up we are. Is that humanity will... Come up with things like that and say, that's a great way to worship. Let's just get wasted and just do whatever with our bodies and call that worship. That's what they were doing. You say, man, we get so caught up, don't we, in the culture and we look around and we kind of think, our culture, nobody's ever been this bad. Read the Bible. People have always been this bad. They've always been this bad. We've got more technology and we hear about more things. People have always been wicked. And they, they're not getting just... More and more and more, we're just getting more creative. But there's nothing new under the sun. Look, this is how bad we are. Their culture thought getting wasted was a great way to worship. problem is they were worshiping a false god. A false god they were worshiping. He says, don't get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. It's a life of destruction. And the human condition is such that we run from the light and even our attempts to worship are false because of our sinful hearts. But then conversion happens, right? Conversion happens where God changes your heart and gives you a new heart if you're a Christian this morning. If you're not a Christian, that's what you're in need of, right? Maybe your way of worship isn't as messed up and goofy sounding as some of the ones in Ephesus were, but you've got your own goofed up, we all do, way of worshiping God that's just not... If it's anything outside of in Christ, through Christ, all because of Christ, then it's not true worship. And at conversion, we... Connect to God through Christ. We have this relationship with God through Christ. But sin still lurks. Temptation still lurks. 
And we're in desperate need of wisdom because the, the, the bar has been set so high for us and we've been called to obey God. Just look at some of the commands we just saw in chapter 5. And then look ahead at the end of chapter 5 when he starts saying, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Try doing that on your own, in your power. Do you know how Christ loves the church, guys? <laughs> he goes on to talk about children obeying parents and, and wives submitting and, and, and the workplace relationships. And then he gets into spiritual warfare and how there's an enemy that longs to destroy your life and how you're in a spiritual war. And it just sounds very overwhelming. And if you took out verse 18 and you just read the rest of Ephesians 5, you would feel like you have been thrown into the ocean and you cannot swim. It is overwhelming. We're in way over our head. Way over our head. This week, I went, I'd heard about this coffee place. I'd been before and I had, you know, decided I would try to hit it up again. And so, it's, if you've you've not been, there's this place called the East End Market, real close to here, right? And I'd been like one time, like a year ago, and I was like, well, I'll try it again. I've heard this, there's a coffee place. They're supposed to be great. So I was like, I'm going to try this coffee place. So I go into the East End Market, and I realize very quick, I'm not cool enough to be at the East End Market. <laughs> not cool enough. I can't pull off what these people pull off, right? I just, I felt very, I felt like the dad chaperoning the high school dance. <laughs> not supposed to be there, right? And so this isn't for me. I didn't know you could look cool like shopping for cheese, but you can look cool shopping for cheese. <laughs> Right? And selling cheese and all these things, right? And so it's this very cool place, a little bit overwhelming and, you know, interesting. But awesome place, right? All kinds of good things there and great coffee, by the way. And uh, the coffee was good. And, you know, I think, I walk in there and I think about it, you know, and I'm, I'm 36 years of not cool. And I walk in there to Hipster Island and I'm not cool enough to be there and I'm a little overwhelmed. And I'm thinking, you know, if I tried to be as cool as all these people are, I would really exhaust myself today and probably would just go home very depressed. Because I'm just not, you know, don't have that in my DNA. But, you know, I think sometimes we look at the Bible. And you open it up to Ephesians 5 or you open it up to wherever and you're reading, you decide, you know, I'm going to read my Bible today. And you start reading it and we just get lost in it because we're just going, I do not measure up. I cannot do this. I am in way over my head. And that means that you understand the Bible. That means you've got a pretty good understanding of what's going on here. When you read the Bible and you think, I can't do this, I'm in way over my head. And that's what I want you to understand. That's understanding that we need help. We have a desperate need for the Holy Spirit. And the second thing we need to understand is God's generous supply of the Holy Spirit. In, in the Holy Spirit. When God says, when Paul writes, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that is a command to obey, but you need to understand something. That is the grace and the generosity of God right there in the middle of Ephesians 5 to grip your heart and help you know that God loves you so much that He's actually given you your, His Holy Spirit. And listen... He wouldn't command it if it wasn't possible. He wouldn't tell you to be full of the Holy Spirit if it wasn't possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not out to make you feel guilty all the time. He commands it because you need it. All of His commands are that way, by the way. They're for our protection and for our good. And so He tells us to do this and to to have the Holy Spirit actively at work in our lives and to be yielded to Him because we need to live that way because apart from that way, we can't live the Christian life. We're hopeless. When Paul tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what does he mean? Well, this is some confusion we get into. People debate this in church and stuff like that. 
there's something called, for our sake, we're going to kind of boil it down to two words. Baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, you know, some words kind of in, the, in the New Testament, they would use words interchangeably and things like that. So you have to kind of really look at it. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. Uh, the moment you become a believer, you get all of the Holy Spirit 100%. He is a person. He is not a, a liquid. He is not, uh, you know, some, something you get part of. He, he's a person. And you get Him when you come to know Jesus. You get all of the Holy Spirit. He comes to indwell you. Right? And that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a one-time act whereby you receive the Holy Spirit in your life. I think I said this a few weeks ago, but we don't need another Pentecost. Pentecost happened. It was an event in history where the Holy Spirit came in new covenant power. And what they got at Pentecost, you get at conversion. The moment you believe, the Spirit of God comes to take up unique and powerful residence in your life so that you can be empowered to live the Christian life. But filling of the Holy Spirit is something that can happen many times in your life, over and over again, and is supposed to be the continuous pattern of our lives. So there's one baptism of the Spirit, and there's many fillings of the Spirit, okay? And unique experiences with God and all those sorts of things. And if you're a believer, you've been baptized in the Spirit, but you may not be full of the Spirit this morning. And if you're not a believer, you're neither baptized or full of the Spirit this morning. And the goal is for everyone to be baptized in the Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit. And the comparison he makes, he says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying Christian worship is nothing like the pagan worship you came out of. You thought that was worship. That's not worship. We don't worship or get spiritual power by getting drunk on a substance, but rather we surrender control to a person, God the Holy Spirit. And we allow Him to fill and to control and to influence and to dominate our lives. Now, drunkenness with alcohol can make you act different, right? You ever been around somebody drunk? Act different? Talk different? You may even get quite bold, right? It begins to affect you. Fullness of the Spirit will also affect how we talk and how we act. And it will give us unique boldness like we wouldn't have before. And drunkenness may turn you into the worst version of yourself, but the Spirit's filling will turn you into the best version of yourself. A lot of similarities, a lot of differences. And in the Greek, the phrase here, be filled with the Holy Spirit, describes continual, ongoing filling with the Spirit. This is a lifestyle. This is not a moment in the Greek. It's also in the passive, like I said earlier, which means it's something that happens to you. He's telling us, He's commanding us to have something happen to us. And ultimately, it is calling us to a continual yielding of our lives. Not just in ministry or in difficult times or when you feel like you need Him, but all the time yielding your life to the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, if I'm driving down the road, I would rather, I like, especially if you're in a hurry, you'd rather see a yield sign than a stop sign, right? And a yield sign means you're just going to start, you're going to look, and if nobody's coming, you can just go. But if somebody's coming, that's a stop sign for you, right? You've got to yield to the other person. You are deferring to them, showing preference to them, and going, you go ahead and go through, right? And he says, when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the idea of yielding our lives to the Holy Spirit. We're giving preference and deference to the Holy Spirit. We're surrendering ourselves to Him. We're looking for Him to make the move. We're looking for Him to lead us. We're looking for Him to guide us. We're looking for Him to influencing us. We're yielding ourselves to Him. And we can choose to yield to other things instead of the Holy Spirit. Not just alcohol. Not just by being drunk. What do you depend on for strength? For some it may be something like pills. Or some it may be their own personal performance. For some it may be money or what, or success. 
Just because you're not a drunk does not mean you're spirit-filled. That's a big mistake we have. Oh, great, I'm not a drunk. This is, this is not even for me this morning. No, 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 no. He doesn't say if you're not drunk with wine, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. He says make sure you don't do that in place of the other. But to be filled with the Spirit. But we can fill up on all sorts of things. Spiritual growth and spiritual change and spiritual impact and power. These things do not happen apart from the Spirit of God. And when Paul penned the words, be filled with the Spirit, it was for our good. And without being under the control of the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, we can never see the change or experience the growth or have the impact that we really want to have in our world. What we need most to live the Christian life and accomplish the great commission that Jesus has commanded the church to do is supplied to us by God Himself. And it's Himself. God Himself empowering us. When this happens all through the Bible and in this text, there's a radical impact. That's the third thing I want you to see. The radical impact of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit it has a radical impact. Look at verses 19. On down. Addressing one another, he says, in psalms and hymns. Now, he goes right out of that from being filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another. What's he doing? He's describing what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, this is the consequences. This is the outflow. This is the fruit. This is the impact on your life of living a Spirit-filled life. You'll begin addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound normal? Is this the average person you encounter at Publix in line? Someone who is making melody to the Lord in their heart? Is this the average Christian that you know? But he says this is the fruit that's produced when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice, in this particular text, and there's other texts that I'm going to point you to, but in this particular text, two big things happen when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. How you relate to God and how you relate to others is radically changed. How you relate to God is radically changed. We're worshiping, right? We're singing songs, making melody with our heart. To who? The Lord. Giving thanks always and for everything. To who? God the Father in the name of Jesus. Spirit-filled Christians are worshiping Christians. Joyful, celebratory, reflective, thankful worship. We can make worship sound very ritualistic if we're not careful. It becomes something you do on Sunday versus Sunday being the overflow of how you've lived your life that week 24-7. We can come in here and this becomes like checking boxes, right? We sing a few songs, we hear a sermon. Some of you already know this is probably how many songs we're going to sing because we sing that many about every week and then there's going to be a sermon that's going to be about that long because it's usually about that long. And then we're going to sing another song and then we're going to sing another song and then we're going to go home. And it becomes very ritualistic and we go home and somebody says, what did you sing today? And you go, I don't remember. What was the sermon about? God. Something about God, right? Holy Spirit, right? And we've been hearing that word for like five, three weeks now, so we've got that down. But does this passage, when it describes worship, does it sound ho-hum to you? No. It's joyful, it's celebratory, singing all kinds of songs, not just singing, he says different kinds of songs, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And here's how I know it's not ho-hum. Melody to the Lord with your Heart. That's how I know it's not ho-hum. That's how I know it's not ritualistic. That's how I know it's not just me going through the motions because he says it has to be with my... It starts here. Now, he says it comes out here. 
But he says it starts here. Melody to the Lord with your heart. And that changes everything. That's why there's joy. That's why there's worship. That's why it's celebratory. That's why all that happens. And it's not just going through the motions because it's from the heart. It's from the inside, from a transformed heart. This weekend we realized that uh, we were out at Target and we realized that Cannon, our little toddler, he's three, um, that he um, he had some extra Christmas money that a relative had given him. And he's, you know, still not spent it. He's just, he's tight, man. And so here we are in April. He's still got Christmas money. It was like, I don't know, $20 or so. And so we decided we'd let him go pick out a toy if he wanted to pick out a toy. And an hour later or so, still haven't picked out a toy, right? I mean, he's on every aisle, and he's like, he wants this, then he wants this, and then this will be great. And there was this one Kylo Ren mask that I really wanted him to fall in love with (laughs) because it changes your voice to sound like Kylo Ren, but then he fell in love with it, and I was creeped out and wouldn't let him buy it. And I was like, you know, this was funny until I heard your voice come out of that, and you're three, and so maybe not yet. And so, But he finally settles on some Star Wars walkie-talkies that don't work that we have to take back, and it turns into this whole thing, and now he's got a Star Wars spaceship, right? Um, but he, there was such joy, right? He's shopping, and man, this is fun! I don't shop that way. If I, make, if I run an errand to Publix... Now, it might take me a while just because I don't know where anything's at. Now, until I get to the, like, the meat department, then I'm like cannon looking at toys, right? I'm like, oh, there's, you know, but as a general rule, I don't like, you know, if I go down to CVS running there, I'm just not that happy to be there. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've got a task to do. And I'm trying to just knock the list out, right? If you do your family's grocery shopping, maybe, you, you, it's this ritual to you now, right? You just go and it's like, boom, 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 boom. I'm, I'm just doing this. But when a toddler shops for a toy, boy, it's like, woo! You know, because they're shopping with their heart. Right? Their heart's in it. And that's the difference in Spirit-filled worship. How you relate to God when you are filled with the Holy Spirit versus how you relate to God when you were checking the list this morning. To see how quickly you can get through this so you can get to lunch. (laughs) That's the difference. It's a heart. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. You can do that even when the music's not playing. But also, how you relate to others. He says, submitting to one another in verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. Before that, he says we're supposed to address one another in song. Other people are involved in this. This is another reason why we sing in church. You know that? You say, you ever wonder that? Like, why do we sing in church? What other medium is there, maybe there are some, there's just not very many situations on planet earth where people, where a 12 year old and an 84 year old sit in the same room and sing the same song. Right? Don't see that a lot. It's unique to the Christian experience to a large degree. Why do we sing in church? He says address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Why do we sing in church? Because we need to hear you sing. I need to hear you sing. You need to hear, you don't need to hear me sing. Oh, but I do. I do. We do. We do. That's why he tells us when we come together to address one another. The singing, yeah, it's for God. It's worship for God, but it's not just for God. He says address one another. He doesn't just say that you get catch that. North Park, when you come in here and if you refuse to sing and you're a member of this church and you sit by somebody and you just refuse and you just sit there and you just refuse to sing, you affect the worship experience of the person standing beside you in a negative way. In a negative way. 
That's why He tells you to address one another, Psalms and Spirit. Because we need it. We need it. We need it. We need to hear. It spurs us. It stirs us. It helps us because we worship in community. But He doesn't just say that. But he talks about submitting to one another. That doesn't sound fun. Who likes, nobody likes the word submit. That's like, oh, it's like the six letter cuss word, right? Submit? Are you kidding me? That's totally anti-human nature. But then he says submit to one another and then he spends the rest of Ephesians or much of it telling you what that looks like in various relationships. What it looks like for the relationship between the husband and the wife and the parents and the children and the workplace and he goes all the way, you know, in other places he tells us about the government. Now all these different functions and how like the design of God for the home and the design of God for life and civil life and all this sort of stuff. But it involves some submission. It involves deferring to other people. It involves husbands loving our wives like Christ loves the church. And these things are impossible apart from the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He will affect how you relate to other people. He will. This text teaches us that being filled with the Spirit can transform your relationship with God and will and your relationship with others. But it also affects some other things. It affects how you change. In Galatians 5.16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What? He says, if you walk by the Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you yield to the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Say, how, how do I get victory in this area of my life? You need to walk by the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's fruit, not fruits, by the way. It's all together. Somebody once said, we're only as strong as our weakest fruit. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says that will be produced in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? That is the character of Jesus in your life. It's the character of Christ. Spiritual growth happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way to experience an increasing love for other people. It's the only way to experience joy in all circumstances. It's the only way to experience peace in every situation. Patience with the most trying people. Kindness with towards unkind people. The only way to supernaturally experience that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you may have a measure of self-control. But you have no match for the measure of self-control that the Holy Spirit can empower you to have. The Holy Spirit does what you cannot do. He produces... Christ, the character of Christ in you. That's why you can be submissive, as Paul says, in the appropriate ways because Christ's character is formed in you. What did Christ do? He submitted to the plan of the Father perfectly and did His will and carried it out. That's why you can be joyful because He can endure the cross for the joy set before Him. That's why you can be patient because God is long-suffering and patient towards you. You can be these things by the power of the Holy Spirit because... That's the very character of Christ being made real in your life. How you change is affected by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. How you do ministry is affected. You're supposed to be doing ministry. Not just me. I'm, I'm supposed to be an equipper. We're supposed to be ministers. Every member is to be a minister. You've got a role and a mission to do. In, in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Jamaria and to the ends of the earth. 
The Holy Spirit empowers us to advance the gospel, to make disciples. And when we fail to minister as God has called us to, it's because we're functioning in our power, not God's power. The mission God has for your life cannot be accomplished apart from the Spirit-filled life. You ever been out flying a kite on the beach? It's pretty fun. Sound doesn't sound fun, but that, you know, because it had been so long since I was a kid. I remember I liked it as a kid, and I was thinking, but I just remember, you know, it's been so long. So a couple of years ago, we were at the beach, and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a kite. I'm gonna try flying a kite. I was gonna see if I can, if I can even do this anymore. So right, so we get out there, and we get it, and man, it was a real windy day, and I think I stood there. I probably got sunburned. Just thought, let's see how it go higher. How high can I make it go without it, the stream coming off? Right? I want to get how high. Can I get it right? I'm just how there's I'm looking at the you know the 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 condos around. I'm can I get it higher than that condo right? And I'm and I'm and I look later and I'm like I'm sunburnt and I've been out there who knows how long just just looking up in the sky right? You ever try to fly a kite inside? If somebody if you'd never heard of kite flying and somebody said I'm gonna take you kite flying and they took you inside a gymnasium and they said all right here's your kite and your job is to get this thing suspended in the air and to just like just see how long you can keep it there and, and guide it around and you'd be like what in the, what are you talking about right one would frustrate you and make you think and you would just feel. I, this is impossible. The other way is a blast, right? And you're like, you know, how high can it go, right? I mean, you're like, you just, you just kind of, it's, it's, it's fun, you know. Kid outside with kite, windy day, great. Kid inside in the gym with the kite, angry kid, temper tantrum. That is the difference in you doing ministry or me doing ministry and us serving others and serving God in the power of the Holy Spirit or in our own power. That is totally the difference. The Holy Spirit supplies the wind. He empower, He makes it possible. And we can go out and we can try and we can, you know, throw that kite in the air and it'll fly for a little while and it'll hit the ground. But man, without wind, it ain't staying up. And the reason many times we get wore out and bogged down and frustrated and sick and tired and all these things is because we are not doing it in His power. We are doing it in ours. And there's no wind. And it makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. In your personal life, in our corporate life as a church, the Holy Spirit's filling in your life. It's critical. And it's much more than just impacting your life. It allows you to impact the lives of others. He allows you to impact the lives of others. Think about it. The fruit of the Spirit. Are you the only one benefiting from patience? Your kids are too. Joy? Are you the only one benefiting from having joy in your life because of the Holy Spirit? Oh no, everybody that meets you that day is glad that you're full of the Holy Spirit. Self-control, oh no. People on the highway, they're glad that you've got some self-control. Of course not. Jesus said that out of us, those of us who believe in John 7, would flow rivers of living water. He said, you thirst, come to me and drink. And out of you will flow rivers of living water. Do you need a river of living water? That's not just for you. It's flowing out of you, right? The, the whole thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about you. It's about you and everybody around you and how you impact them. And if you're trying to live the Christian life in your power and not God's power, imagine the difference it could be if you had the Creator, the One who designed life to work a certain way. You could have Him leading, guiding, influencing, and empowering your daily life. So the question then becomes... Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you practicing being filled with the Holy Spirit? You go, I don't know. Am I? 
Well, first, are you dealing with your sin? Those who walk by the Spirit have crucified the flesh with its desires. Do you deal with your sin? Are you repenting of your sin? You need to choose to die to yourself and, and live to the Spirit. You need to reckon your old self dead like we talked about at Easter. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. We can't be filled with sin and filled with us and filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to be willing to deal with our sin. Do you focus your mind and heart on God's Word? So why does that matter? Well, the Spirit wrote it. Right? The Holy Spirit inspired every jot and tittle, every word of God. And Colossians 3.16 tells us this is what happens when we're full of the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Does that verse sound familiar? It should. Because we just read it in Ephesians about being full of the Holy Spirit. And the same basic fruit in your life is produced when you let the Word of God dwell in you richly and when you let the Spirit of God fill you. Because the Spirit wrote the Word. And you can't be yielded to the Spirit if you're not yielded to His Word. It's like if to disobey God's Word is what? To disobey God because God said it. And if you don't yield to the Word of God in your life, you can't yield to the Spirit of God because... He's already told you, here's what you need to do, right? So we have to fill our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. And as we feast on God's Word, yielding our lives to the truth that the Spirit inspired, the Spirit of God will fill us. And we need to pray. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now you've already been given the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. But Pray. You have not because you asked. I pray. Confess your sin. Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Feast on His Word. And then believe. You live the Christian life by faith, right? The way you, the way you live your life knowing that you're saved from your sin and not going to hell is by faith. And the way you live the Spirit-filled life is by faith. By faith. I'm confessing my sin. I'm yielding to the God's Word and God's Spirit. I'm, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to live surrendered to You, yielding to Your Spirit. And I know Your Spirit's going to lead me to walk in this truth and live by confident faith that You can be in our field with the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Christ, then you don't have the Spirit. And for some today, maybe you've realized that the presence of the Holy Spirit is absent from your life. There's no fruit that He produces. There's no impact on you. There's no impact through you to others. There's just not there. And what you need is the gospel. What you need is faith and trust in Jesus. And the work that the Spirit of God desires to do in your life is to help you to see your need for the gospel. And so if He's done that today, you need to thank Him and help you to see that the, that the gospel that Jesus died in your place and rose again is true. And help you to put your faith and trust in not yourself and not your good works and not your trying hard, but in Jesus and what He's already done to save you. And so if you're not a Christian today, that's what you need. That's the first step before you could ever be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer today, my question is, whose power are you living in? Whose power are you ministering in? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life in increasing measure? Are you yielding to the Spirit of God? You say, well, I think so, but I mean, I don't ever read the Bible. Never. I mean, 
Months go by and I don't read my Bible. I just hear it when I'm in here. I can promise you, you're not yielding to the Spirit. I don't mean that ugly. I'm just trying to help you. We, we, we can't ignore what He has said and call it yielding to Him. Right? Would you think I'm yielding to you if every time you said something I just ignored you and looked over your head and was like, excuse me, you know? No, you'd think I was rude. He's a person. We're not yielding to Him if we're not yielding to His Word. Get in His Word. Rediscover your prayer life. Deal with your sin. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And then go out and live life. Not depending on you and all that you can do, but depending on Him and what He can do in and through you.